Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Alrighty, we are in Genesis chapter 30 now. Genesis chapter 30, we're actually in the last verse of Genesis chapter 30. Last week, you remember uh, the verses that we looked at over there? Basically, uh, chapter 30, verses 25 through 42. Anybody remember what happened over there? Yeah, you, that's right. You had the, the flocks and you had the different colors. You had solid colored animals and then you had animals that had patches and streaks and speckles and spots. And, and this whole weird thing that was going on with Jacob and he felt like, you know, the solution to growing my herd is to take these pieces of wood and strip the bark off it and throw it in the water and that'll somehow you know affect the way that the animals uh, would reproduce and, and the colors of the animals as the animals would reproduce. But you remember where we ended up coming to, the conclusion that we came to was very much summarized by Victor P. Hamilton. I didn't read this last week, but I'll read it as we get started this week, where it says here, this principle has no genetic logic or verification. Whatever level of success Jacob enjoys while using this procedure is attributable only to God, regardless of the conclusions Jacob may have drawn. God does not reveal to him new successful strategies. He merely brings him success despite his strategies. So it's nice to know that God can bring success despite our strategies. Uh, too often we have schemes, we have plans, we have strategies, and if it was up to us for those things to be the reason for a success or a failure, uh, we'd all fall on our faces. Verse 43, now somebody might reading verse 43. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So who is the man that's being talked about here that became exceedingly prosperous? Who is this? It's Jacob. It's not Laban anymore. <laughs> this phrase that's being used to describe exceedingly prosperous, it was actually used in chapter 30, verse 30. Everybody look over there at verse 30. Chapter 30, verse 30. Do you see it over there? Who's being described as exceedingly prosperous over there? It was Laban. Yeah. So one chapter ago, it was Laban. As a result of God blessing Jacob's hard work. God was blessing Jacob's hard work and Laban was getting rich because of it. He was the one getting exceedingly blessed, all right, uh, exceedingly prosperous. But there's one other time that this phrase or this word, the uh, Hebrew word is paras. The other, uh, only other time that we've seen this word so far as we've been reading through the Genesis story is in chapter 28, verse 14. Flip over to 28, 14. What does it say over there? Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad of the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriela. So over there, that was the first time that this word appeared. It was in chapter 28, verse 14. That's where God met Jacob at Bethel. Remember, Jacob just was trying to fall asleep in the middle of the field, gets himself a little pillow made out of a rock, and he <laughs> falls asleep and has this vision, and he ends up seeing God, and God speaks to him, and included in what God says is that verse 14, I will spread abroad. That word for abroad or spread abroad is the same word in Hebrew as we have here. 
So God made a promise to Jacob back in 28.14. The first time this word appears, God basically says, I'm going to make it spread out for you. All the good stuff, I'm going to make it spread out. All the, all the blessing, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to make you prosperous. It's the word that can be translated either way as spread abroad or make you prosperous. God is now fulfilling that. We're seeing the fulfillment of that when we read the very last verse of chapter 30. God is coming through. God keeps his promises. Have we ever run across God keeps his promises before? Yeah, God keeps his promises. And every time that we see it where it stands out like this, I want to say that. And we've heard it over and over and over again. But that's the God I want you to get used to knowing. That this is God who keeps his promises. The God of the Bible keeps his promises. And when you're reading through, if you find that there are promises that God has made and that you're included in the group to whom is being addressed, then those promises he's going to keep in your life. God keeps his promises. I want that to be something that's not in doubt for us. God keeps his promises. As we have here in this verse as well, the way that it reads, notice that it sounds familiar. The man became exceedingly prosperous, had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Remember, this sounds kind of like the way that Abraham's blessings or riches were described when he went down to Egypt and Pharaoh blessed him with all kinds of stuff. And just as he's about to leave Egypt, he's described in very much the same language as we have here. It's also the same sounding description of Abraham's possessions and Abraham's estate when Abraham's unnamed servant is sent to go get Rebekah as a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And when he goes to Rebekah, to Rebekah's household, which also included Laban, and he goes and he meets them and he tells the story of his master, Abraham, and how he's a rich man. He uses very similar language to what we have here. Uh, so God keeps his promises, and we're seeing that being fulfilled here. We're done now with the last verse of 30. So a little bit of a milestone. I like math. So here we are. We finished 30 of the 50 chapters in Genesis. If you reduce that down, that's three out of five. If you uh, further look at it, it's 60%. We're 60% of the way through the book of Genesis. <laughs> but let's not stop here. Let's keep going. Verse 1. Somebody might read in verse 1 of chapter 31. Jacob heard that Laban's son, sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Notice that it's not that, that Jacob heard Laban's sons. Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons. It sounds like you, you know how the rumor mill works, right? The sons are probably uh, complaining, and they complain to somebody who's you know listening and passes that word on to somebody else. However many people it passes through, we don't know, but it sounds like it's not very much longer that it gets to Jacob that Laban's sons are a little upset. Why would they be upset? Who cares? Why would they care? Inheritance. Inheritance. Exactly right. Because the sons stand to gain everything that's Laban's when Laban passes away. And here, God has made a big move in the six years he's been laboring since he, earned, since he paid back the debt for his wives, right? And he worked seven years for one wife, seven years for the other wife. And now that's been 14 years that went by. Now we're six years down the road from that. So it's been six additional years. And God has taken and blessed Jacob. And it's been a blessing at the expense of Laban's estate. Laban's estate is transferring over to Jacob by God's hand, by God's handiwork. And the sons, it doesn't escape their notice. Because I can imagine, you know, at the end of year one, wow, look how many sheep dad has. When dad passes away, think about it. What are we going to do with all these sheep? <laughs> what are we going to do with all these goats? And then year two passes by. That's weird. The number's a little lower. I expected it would have been higher. Year three, hey, I don't like this trend. Year four, year five, year six. You're six years in, and now they're saying it's as if everything has passed. 
to Jacob. It's as if there's hardly anything left for Laban. It's as if there's hardly anything left for them. We don't know how old the sons, we don't know how many sons there are. We do know when we looked at earlier when Laban separated the sheep out, you remember when they had to do with the coloring and you guys take these and you guys take those, and he he put some into the commission of his sons and sent them away three days away from Jacob. They were old enough back then, six years ago, to take care of sheep. We don't know how old they were, but they were old enough to do that. Now, six years later, they're old enough to be rivals, maybe even threats. All right, so here's what we've got over here, possible threats by Laban's sons. Verse 2 And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, or literally it means the face of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable to him as before. NIV has Laban's attitude. He saw that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it was before. All right? You can imagine how that goes. You ever have somebody kind of give you the cold shoulder and you don't know why? All right? He knows why. He probably knows why. He gets what's going on. But you can read a person... Even if you don't know any reason, what happened over the weekend? I don't know, but they gave me the cold shoulder today as I was leaving church, and it just wasn't the same. You know, and I don't know what happened, that kind of thing. You know, so yeah, you can get a read on people. <laughs> He's getting a read on Laban. Laban's not happy with him. Verse 3, somebody mind reading verse 3. And the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. This is the Lord speaking. This is Yahweh. yod heh vav Hey are the Hebrew letters for Yahweh there, or Jehovah. The Lord is speaking to Jacob now, and he says, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. What is Jacob's responsibility here? According to God's words, what, what's Jacob's responsibility? Go home. Go home. Obey. Here's what I tell you to do. Obey. And God gives the follow-up, and I will be with you. I don't think it's any different with us. When God gives us instructions, our responsibility is to obey. And what does he do? He'll be with us. How's he going to be with Jacob? Well, he's going to be with Jacob in taking care of him. He's going to be with Jacob in protecting him. He's going to be with Jacob in providing for him. Wouldn't God do the same for us? When God gives us instructions, when we respond in obedience, he takes care of us. When we respond in obedience, he protects us. When we respond in obedience, he provides for us. Our responsibility is the same as Jacob's. Obey. And then he'll take care of the other things. Our responsibility, obey. When you have here these words where God is speaking to Jacob and says, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you, it kind of reminds us of God's original call to Abraham. Remember that? He was basically saying, leave here, go there, and I'll be with you. Leave here and go there and I'll be with you. And we go, oh, that's cool. That's a neat pattern. God would say to Abraham, leave here, go there, and I'll be with you. Oh, he says to Jacob, oh, leave here, go there, I'll be with you. Please don't say that to me. Right? We're like, we want to cut it off right there. Okay, good. I'm good with that. Please don't ask me to leave where I'm comfortable. <laughs> Please don't ask me to leave where it's familiar to me. Please don't ask me to leave my comfort zone. I don't want to go into the place of the unknown or the place that, where everything's scary or to the place where I haven't been before or the place where God is calling me to. I don't want to go. I want to stay here. But sometimes God's command to obey is to move out of our comfort zone, is to go to a place where maybe it's not comfortable. Maybe it's a place we're not familiar with. Maybe it's a place we haven't spent our time really getting our bearings as to what it takes to survive in that environment. We're used to surviving in this environment. That's going to call upon me to have something different. And uh, I don't want to go there. (laughs) But we need to recognize that it's not beyond God to say, leave the place you're familiar with, go to the place I'm calling you to. Go to the place where I want to do something with him. Also, if you look at 28.15, go to Genesis 28.15. We looked at 28.14 already. 28.15, the same setting, the same backdrop when God first appeared to Jacob out there in that field. What does verse 15 say? Somebody am I reading that? 
What's more, I will be with you and I will protect you wherever you go. I will someday bring you safely back to this land. I will be with you constantly until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Excellent. Thank you, Jennifer. So here it is. God, in 31.3, is telling Jacob, I've concluded what I promised to you back there in 28.15. God said, there's a day coming when I'm going to do this with you. And now that day's arrived. And God's telling him, the day has arrived. And we've seen God has been faithful. Right? Back then in 28, 14 and 15, God made some promises. Here we find, moving forward, God has kept his promises. He's made him rich. All right, he's, he's provided for all of his needs. He's prospered him. That was one of the promises. God keeps his promises. And another promise that he gave to Jacob is, I'll bring you back, and I'll be with you. So there's all kinds of promises God gave to Jacob, and now they're coming to fruition. Now, in case you're thinking, well, that's to Jacob. What about to me? Well, turn to Matthew 28. Matthew, the, in fact, the very last couple of verses in Matthew, and we've looked at these before the last time we ran across these verses, but it bears repeating again. Matthew, and you're looking, like I said, at the very last few verses in chapter 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is Jesus. This is Jesus right before his ascension. All right. So he's been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He's spent a couple days with his, with his people, and now he's going to go up to heaven. But before he goes, it says this. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll back up to verse 18. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you. That's what we're looking at. That's the phrase we're looking at from Genesis. I am with you. God is making the same promise to his disciples. Do you know what a disciple is? It's a learner or follower of God. If you're a learner or follower of God, you get to participate in the same promise. I will be with you. So when Jesus says, I will be with you, and it says there's even more words right there, right? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He will be with us just as he promised he would be with Jacob. Did Jacob have some hard times while he was over in Padanaram? Yeah, he did. Did he have some hard times with this Laban guy? Right. Could God have intervened and just struck Laban dead? I mean, he could have. But he didn't. He allowed that to continue, that trial that he was going through, that Jacob was going through. Just like God would allow you to go through trials. He doesn't say, I'll deliver you from the trials. He says, I'll be with you in the trials. God is with us in the trials, not intending that we never have persecutions or trials in our lives. No, that's not the case. Anybody that desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. That's, that's actually the word of God. We're going to have trials. He'll be with us in the trials if we obey like we looked at earlier. It's on us to obey, and he'll be with us. Moving on from there, verse 4, chapter 31, verse 4. Chapter 31, verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock. I, I can understand why. You probably don't want to make this announcement in Laban's presence, right? <laughs> Here's, he's going to make this announcement that's going to stir things up quite a bit. Um, basically, he's going to tell them we need to move. He's going to tell them it's, it's time we leave your father's house. And it's time to go to the land of Canaan. In fact, he doesn't present it as this is what we're going to do. He kind of presents it in a way that's kind of like, hey, what do you guys think? <laughs> in such a way that he's kind of testing the waters, if you will, kind of feeling out how this is going to go. All right, Because for them, they've never lived anywhere else. They've been with dad the whole time. All right, Sometimes it's time to move on. <laughs> All right, You're married, time to move on. So here we have these women. They've never lived anywhere else. There's kind of this cultural expectation that you're to ask dad for permission before you leave. Even if you're married, 
All right, there was still this expectation. Hey, Dad, we're married. It's been a while. Uh, we're going to take off. And, you know, it's kind of a culturally expected. All right, but uh, Jacob's proposing something a little different. And it's basically, we're going to try to sneak away. <laughs> All right. Lavette. Yes. Um, you just mentioned about being afraid that that's the only place they've ever been. Okay. And so, you know, Araldo has come from Jamaica, has gone to London, and now he's here. But we periodically talk about where we're going to move and we retire, blah, blah, blah. And I get scared because I'm born and raised here, and I'm thinking, I don't know any place else. California is all I know. And I really get scared about what does it look like to live somewhere else. And sometimes it's completely not what you expect. No, exactly. <laughs> yep, you're in good company here. We could write the Levette story Levette's here in the middle. <laughs> Excellent. Verse 5, 31 verse 5, uh, so Jacob speaking, and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before, but, but the God of my father has been with me. It's interesting, he doesn't mention the brothers. Right? He doesn't say, hey, your brothers, they sound like they're pretty mad at me, and then there's your father. Mm-hmm. No, he just concentrates on the father. In fact, we've got an interesting uh, juxtaposition here. We've got two fathers mentioned. Who's the one father on one hand? Laban. We got Laban. Laban's the girl's father, Laban. And who's the other father? father? The God of my father. So, yeah, you've got a difference here. Uh, The God of my father and then your father. (laughs) The God of my father and your father. So you kind of see this interesting juxtaposition there between an earthly father and a heavenly father of sorts. It's interesting, too, that we see that sometimes we have one father's countenance that has changed and another father's countenance does not change right our god does not change verse six somebody might reading verse six you know that i've worked for your father with all my strength yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times however god has not allowed him to harm me excellent thank you mike so let's look at that first part first and you know that with all my might i've served your father with all my might that you know that's a work ethic that we need to recognize that uh, there's no place for our laziness in this world my uh, my girls, they read comic books, uh, Walt Disney comic books, Donald Duck, and Uncle Scrooge. And uh, truth be known, it was actually a collection that my wife had when she was in high school. And then I ended up reading them after I got married, and then we passed them on. Well, there's a character in, in the whole family of the ducks, Gladstone Gander. And if you're familiar with the story, Gladstone Gander is this loafer who just goes through life. And all he's got as a claim to fame is he's lucky. He's so lucky that he doesn't need to work. He never works. He doesn't have to work. Because if he needs to pay this, uh, the money just appears. Maybe he's out fishing and he catches a can and we reels up the can and there's money in the can or something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So why do I bring this up? I, I bring this up because sometimes, as foolish as that sounds and as ridiculous as that sounds, sometimes we run across Christians that think that's appropriate ways to behave in the Christian life. Like, God will just give it to me. I don't have to work hard. Well, well no. The recipe is you, you work as if God is your boss. And if God is your boss, you do a good job. If God is your boss and he's taking note of how you're doing, you want to do a good job for your boss. In the Bible, Paul would speak as if that's the case. In Colossians 3.23, it says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So we need to labor as if God is our boss. Not just go through life like, I'm going to sit back in my spiritual easy chair, and if God wants me to have something, he'll just put it in my hand. That's not how it works. Verse 7, yet your father has deceived me. That's funny that he's saying that, right? He's lived his whole life deceiving other people, and now he's complaining about being deceived. Your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Changed my wages ten times, 
John Hartley says this, archaeologists have found ancient contracts between an owner and a shepherd. These contracts were usually renegotiated annually. At the end of each season, the owner made an accounting of the flock and the shepherd received his pay. For the coming season, a new contract was agreed on, sometimes several weeks later. Thus, Laban probably changed the terms of Jacob's contract in an effort to get terms that would increase the size of his own flocks and limit the growth of Jacob's flock. Nevertheless, God blessed Jacob, and the size of his flocks continued to increase. So it's been six years since they came up with that original contract. In that six years, perhaps Laban changed it more than necessary. Perhaps he changed it more than annually. Perhaps he really did change it ten times. Or there's the possibility, too, that ten times is a round number for lots. We do find that on occasion as we go through our Bible, that sometimes ten can mean many times. But before we get too far along those lines, I want to talk about wages. When it talks about wages here, this is something that's come up so many times in our story. Going all the way back to that original, hey, why are you staying with me without paying you? Let's come up with something that is mutually agreeable to both of us. What will be your wages? Tell me what I should pay you. So all the way since then, it's been about wages. And wages has come up over and over and over again throughout this story. So here, Jacob is saying, your dad deceived me. He tricked me. He changed my wages ten times. I want to say something here. Don't make it all about the money, right? It's too easy to get all caught up in the money aspects. And I get it. In this day and age, you got to pay for everything. And so you need money. It's something you need. And you got to pay attention to where it's coming and where it's going and how much there is left over at the end. And hopefully there is something left over at the end. And if there's not, then you got to be mindful of how you're going to get back in black from being in the red. So it's really easy to get all wrapped up in the money aspect of it. But really, that's not where our attention should be. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We need to be careful about devoting ourselves too much to money, making big decisions based too much on money, not seeking God's guidance, because maybe God's guidance would be something away from what we think, oh, I need the money, so therefore that's the right decision. God might say, no, it's not about the money. That doesn't mean that's the right decision just because it's going to pay your bills. Maybe I have something different for you. So be careful, beware of the love of money. We mentioned the 10 times and how that can be a round number or that can be a, an example of many times. Or it could be literal. In this case, there was plenty of opportunity looking at Laban's reputation for changing his wages 10 times. And I can see that happening with Laban. Because all of a sudden, Jacob's flop is growing and uh, Laban says, you know what, uh, next year I get the streaked and the spotted. Because mm-hmm. apparently those something's going wrong and they're all having babies and those are all yours this year. But next year, I I get to have those, and you can have, you know, and I can see that happen, going back and forth, and it's just not working out for him. Ten times is also used often to indicate a period of testing or a type of testing. For example, how many plagues were brought upon the Egyptians and Pharaoh? You had ten plagues. Right, you had ten plagues. How many times did the Israelites test God in the wilderness during the wanderings? Numbers 14 tells us it was ten times. You have the uh, Ten Commandments. Is that testing? Yeah, it is. God says, don't do these, and it's a test. (laughs) So, yeah, there's Ten Commandments having to do with that. Uh, You have uh, the number of days that Daniel and his three friends were tested. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, it was ten days. In Matthew chapter 25, you had the five wise and five foolish virgins, and there was a test. There were ten virgins that were tested, and only five passed. And then in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it's specifically mentioned as being 10 days of testing. Days of testing, a number of 10 days. All right, so 10 is symbolic for days of testing. But I don't want to be tested 10 times. <laughs> I would hope when God gives me a lesson as I'm going through it, I'm like, okay, I just need to learn it, right? And I tell my kids that. 
I'll tell my kids, hey, you know what? If you're going through a time of testing, learn your lesson from the test so that you don't have to repeat it a second time or a third time. But as I'm reading through this and I'm going, well, sometimes it's just going to be a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes you might feel like I got this already, but here it comes again. What do I still need to learn from it? Well, we all have something we can still learn from those lessons. But what would be my, my seed of application here? I'd say endure testing. All right, endure your testing. But I'll even add one more word to that after I read this passage. Turn to James chapter 1 where it talks about testing. James is near the end. Levette's going, I know where he's going. <laughs> James is near the back of your Bible. It's almost to the book of Revelation. In fact, if you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and you turn left, uh, go a couple small books, and James is going to be in there among those. James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 2, 3, and 4. And if you don't have these underlined in your Bible yet, you're going to want to, because this is going to come up. Every time you have testing, you're going to be like, where was that passage again? James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Ugh. Really? Yep, yep, that's what God says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Spiritually, if you want to lack nothing, it's going to involve testing. And testing that you go through and endure joyfully. So what would I say about testing? Endure testing joyfully oh that's rough that's a big recipe right there that's a that's a sour pill to swallow right there isn't it endure your testing but endure it joyfully endure your testing joyfully what does that look like like? (laughs) i don't think it calls upon us to be crazy you know i don't think it's like uh, thank god my cat just got run over by a car you know i don't think it's like that but i think it's Thank you, God, that I got to experience the love, you know, of that animal before it passed, you know. Um, But I think it carries with it always looking for a way to give God praise. I think it carries with it recognizing that God has purposes sometimes that take us through our darkest valleys. And when we're in those darkest valleys, maybe we can't see what the purpose is, but we can rest assured that God keeps his promises and that we're going to come out of this and he's with us in the midst of it. Great question. Back to Genesis 31, verse 8. Genesis 31, verse 8. Somebody mind reading that one? He said, Thus the speckled shall give you wages. Then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said, Thus the streaked shall give you wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. Thank you, Gabriella. So there you see it. There's Laban. He's switching it up. <laughs> oh, it's time to change the contract again. You can see Jacob. Oh, again, really? All right, here we go. And then God causes the sheep and the rams and the, and the goats to be given birth to the, whatever ones are in Jacob's favor and whatever ones are not in Laban's favor. Here it goes again. All right, time to renegotiate. But we just did this eight months ago. Well, you know what? We're going to do it now. We've got to get an early start on renegotiating process. And you can see it every single time. I can imagine Laban doing, you know, trying to work it out, scheming to his favor, and uh, God sees otherwise. Verse 9, somebody might reading verse 9. God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So here we're reminded, Jacob's still speaking to Rachel and Leah. He's speaking to the daughters of Laban, and he's saying to them, God has taken away the livestock of your father, and he's given them to me. The word that's translated there as taken, right? God has taken away the livestock. It's a word that usually, it's not the normal word for taken. The author could have used a different word, but he uses a word that can actually be translated as rescued or delivered from physical harm. 
God has moved this author to use a word as if God is saying through Jacob that uh, the Lord has taken these animals, rescued them, brought them out, saved them physically from Laban and given them over to us. As if maybe Jacob's looking forward to God who, who would behave in that way, preserving and protecting and rescuing Jacob, Rachel, Leah, the boys, the family. That just as God delivered these animals physically from the perils that they were facing, so I believe God will deliver us. He will rescue us uh, physically from those situations. This is the kind of example that we have, though, of what God would extend to us. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 12, it says this, As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them. Using the same word there, the same word for deliver or rescue. God is a God who looks to deliver and rescue us. As we are scattered sheep, we're living in our scattered sheepdom, all right, spread out from the rest of the flock, and God seeks to deliver us from the perils that we might not even know are out there. And so we're wandering around, not recognizing that there could be a wolf behind that bush over there, and God seeks to deliver us, rescue us from physical harm that we might not even know is heading our way. All right. Verse 10, And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. So he's having a dream. He's had a dream. He's explaining the dream to his two wives, Rachel and Leah. Dreams were a big way that people felt that God was communicating to them back then. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we have a reminder of this. The beginning of the book of Hebrews, New Testament book, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past, all right, dreams would be included in that, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So what I would say to that is, if you want to hear from God, don't necessarily seek a dream, all right? Okay, God, tonight I'm going to go to bed, and I want you to bless me with a dream mm -hmm. That tells me whether or not to uh, cheat on my taxes this year. <laughs> no, he's spoken to us through the word. The word says, don't cheat. <laughs> All right? Uh, he's spoken to us through his son, and his son is, is uh, likened to the word of God in John chapter 1. All right? So how does God speak to us now? He speaks through his son. And the son is the word, and we have the word in our hands. So you don't need to be praying that God will speak to you in a dream. He might. It's not to preclude him from doing that. But that's not the norm now. If dreams were more the norm, now the norm is God, Jesus, his son, the word. All right. Moving on from that, Genesis chapter 30, verse 11. Somebody might reading that. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. Here I am. Those words, here I am, we've, we've heard those one other time before. If, Samuel? Oh, we haven't got to Samuel. <laughs> but yes, that's another time. And there's another time when Isaiah, God says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, Hanani, uh, here I am, send me. Where we've seen it so far in Genesis is when, here, I'm going to do a motion. Tell me if you know what this is. Oh. You remember that? Oh. Abraham on the mountain, Mount Moriah, is about to sacrifice oh, yeah, his son yeah. in obedience to God's commands. And right as he's about to do it, God intervenes and calls his name. And Abraham says, here I am. <laughs> All right. And so that's the other time that we've seen this. So that's, that's kind of interesting, the same words that we see right there. That's over in chapter 22, verse 11, if you're interested in seeing it. In verse 11 here, who's doing the speaking here? Or at least Jacob's doing the speaking, but who does he address or who does he describe as the one that spoke to him? God. God. Angel, of God. Angel of God. Exactly right. Angel of God. And all of a sudden that throws that in there and we're like, wait a minute, I'm not really sure who now he's talking about. If you're not sure, you can look at verse 13. This entity describes himself in verse 13 where he says, I am the God of Bethel. And you remember, oh, that's the God that appeared to him out in the field. Okay, now I get it. All right, the angel of God is the same as the God that appeared to Jacob out in the field. 
All right. Uh, verse 12. Uh, so Jacob's still speaking to Rachel and Leah. He's describing what happened in that dream and when God addressed him. And he said, lift your eyes now and see. All the rams which sleep on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. The Lord sees. We've seen that before. The Lord does see. He sees what we're going through. He sees the trials that we're going through. And it might be tempting if you feel like it's a dry spell in your spiritual life and you haven't heard from God in a while. You read God's word and it's as if they don't even get off the page in your brain. And you feel like, man, I just I feel alone. I feel like this isn't working. I feel like maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe there's something that's distanced me from God. Maybe God doesn't see anymore. Maybe he's not paying attention. He doesn't even know I exist. Spiritually, I feel like I'm just floating about in a rowboat in the middle of the ocean. God sees. It's been a long time since God spoke to him, perhaps 20 years. All right? So God sees. God's paying attention. It hasn't escaped his notice, even though it might feel otherwise. It was explained to me this way in high school. I remember having a question, and I asked my youth pastor, and it had to do with feelings. What if I don't feel saved? What if I don't feel forgiven? What if I don't? And it had to do with feelings. It says you need to be careful because feelings should be the caboose on your train. All right. The truth is that God does see. The truth is that God is aware of your circumstances. The truth is God has forgiven you. Those are the locomotive pulling the train. Your feelings need to follow those truths. Your feelings need to follow what's real and what's factual and what's actual. All right. The feelings are the caboose. Make them follow, not lead. You don't follow your feelings. You let your feelings follow what the truth is of God's word. Your feelings will lead you astray. Good enough. I know, it worked, right? That's one of the few things I remember from high school. (laughs) We also see, according to this verse, verse 12, that it's God who did the blessing. Despite Jacob getting the sticks and peeling the bark and throwing them in in the watering trough and making the animals face certain ways, right? All the scheming that he did, we find here he's finally recognized. He's giving God the credit. God is the one that blessed him. God is the one that did that. Victor P. Hamilton says regarding this verse, Only now does Jacob share with his wives how he obtained so many animals. He's making clear to them that he did not dupe Laban out of his flocks by magic or trickery. Had he done so, then Leah and Rachel might have been sympathetic toward Laban. Rather, God is responsible for Jacob's prosperity. God is the one who gets the credit. Verse 13. Somebody might read in verse 13. I am the God you met at Bethel place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made a vow to serve me. Now leave this country and return to the land you came from. Excellent. Thank you, Jennifer. I am the God of Bethel. Bethel we've talked about several times already today, and we've talked about it before over in chapter 28. That's the place where Jacob met God. That's the place where he fell asleep in the field and he had that vision. <laughs> I, I can't help but read this where you anointed the pillar and I put pillow, you know, because that rock was his pillow and he ended up standing it up at the end of that. Um, Bethel, what does Bethel mean? We've talked about it before. Anybody remember? Mm-hmm. Bethel means house of God, the dwelling place of God. There used to be a thought that the gods were particular on geographical locations. And the idea was that, you know what, if, we live in the plains. If we move up to the hills, we're going to have to introduce ourselves to a different set of gods. We're going to have to worship a different set of gods because the gods of the plains are not the same as the gods of the hills and vice versa. And so you felt the belief was that gods had different jurisdictions, different areas, if you believed in multiple gods. All right. The God of the Bible is not, he's not like that. He's not limited to a territory. So when he's saying, I'm the God of Bethel, he's not saying, I'm the God that only lives there. He's just saying, I'm the God you met there, all right, when we first met. 
So if you know if you've got somebody that's dear to you, uh, maybe you've got a sweetheart or something, and you can remember that first time you met, right? I remember the first time I met my wife. I can remember that location. I can't remember anything between then and now, but I can remember that first time that I met her in that one particular place. All right. So God is saying, remember back to the first time we met. All right. He's not saying I'm the one that lives way out there, and boy, I barely caught up with you because it took me a while. <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. So house of God. Bethel means house of God. We're going to find Bethel is going to be mentioned in other places as we move through the material. It's going to be mentioned three times in chapter 35. And then Bethel ends up becoming such a hot spot, if you will, that by the time of Hosea, Hosea is, the prophet Hosea is railing against Bethel because it's become this place of worship, not for God. It's as if the people who are supposed to be worshiping God are worshiping the place. All right, so Hosea and Satan basically condemned the idol worship that was going on there. Wrapping it up then. Kenneth Matthews says regarding this passage here, Jacob's heritage lies in the land of Canaan, the land promised to his fathers. His destiny does not lie in the household of Laban. God is calling him out of the household of Laban, back to the promised land. All right, And it's been a long time since he's been there. He doesn't know what his family situation is. God's saying, go back to your family. But he doesn't know if mom's still alive. He doesn't know if his brother still wants to kill him. He doesn't know if his dad's still alive. And now it's 20 years later since he left. And God's saying, we're going back. I'm going to take you back. But something else that's probably difficult for him to leave is that he got rich in Laban's house. Jacob got rich here. It might be kind of hard to retire if you're still rolling in the dough. If everything's still coming in. If, like, next year doesn't look like it would be any worse than this last year or the year before or the year before that. It's been great years. And now Jacob's being called away from that. I would put here, regarding our spiritual heritage, our spiritual heritage lies in God's will and plan for our lives, not in what the world has to offer us. And once again, this is kind of along the lines of what I said earlier. Don't make your decisions just based on money. Don't let it be about the money. All right? Make your decisions based on what is God's will and God's plan for you. And if God's will says go this way, he will provide what you need as you go, as you work hard and obey, all right? But if you decide I'm going to go this way because it makes more sense to me because I'm going to get the money I need to pay my bills, and God's path is this way, you're going to be going apart away from God, all right? So just recognize that our spiritual heritage lies in God's will and plan for our lives, not in what the world would offer us as an alternative, all right? So if I was to give you application, seeds of application in your own lives, I've got a couple of them highlighted here. Let's see what I got. One of them is God keeps his promises. I want to mention that every time I can. Another one, our responsibility is to obey. Our responsibility is to obey, and he will go with us. All right? He will be with us. Labor as if God is your boss. Labor as if God is your boss. The next one, beware of the love of money. Endure testing joyfully, and then the Lord sees. And then finally, our spiritual heritage lies in following God's path for our lives, not in what the world would offer us. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for a table, a room, chairs, air conditioning, and your presence, far and away above all these other things. Lord, we don't want to take for granted any of them. Thank you for meeting us here. We pray that your spirit would take whatever we need to work on with us and bring it to our remembrance and our recollection in the days and weeks that it takes us to get through the hurdles and the lessons that you would have for us to learn. Lord, in times of trial, help us to receive those things, endure those things joyfully. Help us, Lord, to be obedient people. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. Please shape us and mold us to be more like you each day.
in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys have a wonderful week. All right, praise God. Praise God. You guys are such a blessing to me. I I, I appreciate you guys more and more every day. Yeah.